Welcome back to Hero Hero Go Show. That was Kotoko, and I am Bo Ransdell, your tour guide through the world of Asian horror and even a little bit of history and culture. Sorry about making you learn stuff sometimes. Um, on the show today, we turn back the clock to discuss the oldest film we've examined so far, the 1968 film Kuroneko, literally translated as Black Cat. This is no tale of witches, though, and is instead a film adaptation of a uh, traditional supernatural folktale from Japan. Joining me today is one cool cat himself. <laughs> Sorry. No, Duncan McLeish, host of the podcast Under the Stairs, Stop Sign, and Chronicle, <laughs> which will be launching Season 2 shortly, uh, but I heartily encourage you to check out Season 1 in its entirety, available right now. Uh, he is also my partner in crime for Duncan and Bo Come Correct, and appeared on the very first episode of this show. Duncan, welcome back, and tell me what I left out. <laughs> I'm, I'm still a bit flabbergasted that you're... Not cool cat, Bo. This is I, not 1950. I could not resist. <laughs> like, when, I, when else are we going to be doing a movie about demon cats? That, this is this is true. This, this is actually true. Although cats do pop up in quite a lot of Asian horror cinema, so... And to be honest with you, a, a lot of what you probably will end up talking about in the future can be tracked back to here. But that's, that's jumping at what I want to talk about later on. Thank you very much for having me back. This feels great. I can't believe... You are this far into your first season already, so much so that that I'm back again. It feels yeah. like I was only on like a week ago. Yeah, and a, a, an apology to the listeners to to sit through this again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in fairness, in fairness, when you mentioned that you were going to be doing a show and it was going to be called Hero Hero Go Show and it was going to look at Asian horror cinema, I think I threw about maybe five or six titles that you you know if you're going to discuss this title i want involved with the show and one of the first ones i mentioned was current echoes so um yeah i i'm i'm incredibly excited about this one that this to me is one of those ones that you know people know the later stuff but if you want to get a grasp on where a lot of that the influences in those movies come from you need to go back and you need to especially the the director of this movie who in the same decade, created two of the most pivotal Japanese horror movies. Influential as well, in the same decade. Just knocked them out as if they were nothing, Bo. Just yeah. Kicked them out as if they were nothing. Uh, the director in question is uh, Kanate Shindo. Mm-hmm. Um, Kanato Shindo, sorry. Uh, my pronunciation is not always great. Um, pop quiz, Hotshot. Do you know the uh, the alternate title of this film? Other than, and even though uh, Kuroneko figures into that title, it's it's still a cool title. Are you familiar with this? The the, the full the full Japanese name. Yes, uh, I do. I, I could try and pronounce it, but I get the feeling that you will mock me to no end. So, um, it I is, will I will sit back and let you do it, and then mock you. Fair enough. It is uh, Yabu no Naka no Kuroneko. That's spawn, and man. which is a black cat in a bamboo grove. Which is, it sounds like a Giallo title. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which, in fairness, like, 
when we come to talk about the movie, I think it's very difficult not to speak about this movie and mention Mario Bava. I think there's... If the Shindo says that he's never seen a Baba movie, movie before, then I will be incredibly surprised because there are shades of Black Sunday in this movie, and the the lighting, the you know the the use of black and white, especially in this decade. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot going on in here, which which kind of makes me feel like it's kind of that there is an influence from the world of the Jalo, uh, and the name just sells it for me. Totally. Yeah, I love that name, actually. I think it, we should just call it that from the Wombo. Yeah, it's really cool. And actually, uh, the, the phrase uh, Yabu no Naka um, is a, a, an idiom in Japan mm-hmm. of, of being in the bamboo. It's sort of like being in the tall grass, of being uh, confused, unable to discern the true nature of things. Is it wrong that I looked at that full length and thought that that's what Fred Flintstone used to call it? Yeah, that is wrong. Um <laughs> <laughs> Although I would love it if instead of Yabba Dabba Doo, uh, if Fred Friendstone, like, you know, sailed down the tail of the Brontosaurus yelling out, like, Yabu no Naka. Um, uh, I, I may start doing that anyway. Not with the Brontosaurus tails, because technology's not there yet. But just in my day to day life, you know. Life finds a way, Bo. Life finds a way. Uh, Oh god, yeah. So I mean, this one's this this is this is one that I'm really looking forward to. In answer to your question, before I massively derailed us into conversations about Fred Flintstone, which I can guarantee no one expected when they pressed play on the Kuroneko episode. But um, no, you haven't really missed out anything. That's pretty much what I do. Chronicle season two is coming probably the end of July. We have announced since the last time I was on this show that we are moving away into a different aspect of the European subgenre of horror. Um, away from vampires, which we did in our first season, and season two is all about them witches. Those crazy, crazy witchy women. Yeah. Oh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I, I was kind of hoping that you were going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, everyone is constantly asking me, can you sing more on yeah, these well, shows? I, I I agree with that. I'm still waiting for um, the inevitable Asian karaoke episode, which has to happen. Trust me, I was in Japan. And when I was in Japan, um, both myself and my wife took in one of their their massive kind of hotels that do nothing but like suntan booths for karaoke. They're just like small rooms, you walk in, there's a TV screen, and you just sing. And there's all manner of instruments around you. Well, when I say percussive instruments, like tambourines and shit like that, and you pay for like a couple hours and you just go in and sing your wee heart out. Um, and it's a lot of fun. So I, I suspect that will be your season finale episode. Yeah, sure. it were, uh, yeah there's definitely going to be a, a karaoke um, episode to, to end the season. Both sides uh, baby metal, can't wait. Oh, man, I... You know, all right, so uh, I have a problem with Baby Metal, which I think is uh, one of the most, like, adorable bands ever. And, uh, but, and similarly, Band Made, mm-hmm. which, you know, like, Japan has the unsettling ability to make me like things a lot that I feel kind of creepy about, too. Yeah. <laughs> And, and and which we'll get into some of that with this episode because there is uh there are some gender issues going on in this in this film mm-hmm. um and which is appropriate because the the uh, first episode you were on first episode of the show was about audition and that's certainly very much about the monstrous female 
Yes, um, yeah. So the, the the cultural inversion of of uh, Japan's outlook towards women. Yeah, the the power of the of the woman uh, as being some sometimes a frightening thing, mm-hmm. uh, one might say. But uh, so first we are going to uh, tip to our way uh, in, with uh, dainty steps um, <laughs> through the story, which I don't think is going to take too terribly long because it's not an intricate story at all. No. Um, and then on the back end, obviously, we're going to be talking more uh, in detail about about the film. But um, let us let us begin with the beginning, um, as wise men have said. <laughs> and so, Kuroneko is the story uh, again, a very traditional folk tale from Japan uh, about uh, two women who live in a bamboo grove. Mm-hmm. Kuroneko it begins in the uh, Sengoku period of Japan, um, which is kind of the 1400s-ish, uh, sort of later 1400s. Um, it, it's a period uh, culturally, and I only get into this because I think you have to have a little bit of uh, a cultural backdrop for this story to, to work completely. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the period in Japan where, where all these warring states are just constantly attacking one another. It is sort of uh, the if not the peak period, one of the great periods in terms of power concentrated in the hands of, of the samurai and uh, samurai warlords. Um, it basically, um, in, in this period in, in Japan, the peasants get screwed so bad mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, it's just all these essentially tribal, you know, nation states uh, going to war, like during this time, uh, Kyoto, which was the uh, capital of Japan at the time, is pretty much leveled. It's pretty much burned to the ground. Um, it is, it, yeah, it's just a, a, an incredibly tumultuous period. And one might even say it is somewhat reminiscent of Japan uh, following Hiroshima and Nagasaki, mm-hmm. in that there is uh, this sense of the the common man being forced to bear the punishment of the upper class, uh, the warring class, one might say. Um, so that is just prelude, just to set the stage for where we are in the in the chronology of Japanese history. Um, there is uh, a big a big gate that fi- uh, figures prominently into this, uh, which is uh, the the Rojiman Gate. Mm-hmm. Which was originally constructed to be this like incredibly ornate and 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 wondrous monument to the greatness of of Japan. Um, at the time of this story, though, uh, in in the Sengoku uh, period, that it is largely in disrepair and is kind of a haven for bandits mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, so. Anyway, enough history. Again, sorry to make you learn things. <laughs> it's not our intention. <laughs> it's not our intention. Yeah, it's not our intention to meet you dumber by the end. God willing, yeah. That <laughs> you come away from this thinking like, I don't think I learned anything. And in fact, I may have forgotten stuff I thought I <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, But so, okay. So that's where we are, uh, you know, culturally speaking. We have uh, our, our two eh, kind of main characters of the film, uh, certainly the, the, the primary characters along with one other. Um, we have uh, Yone, 
uh, who is the mother and her daughter-in-law, Shige. And they live uh, in the in the bamboo grove. The the movie opens with um, some some wandering samurai. You know, again, one of these groups of warriors that are just kind of traveling from area to area and and just kind of effing stuff up is kind of what they do. And um, they come across this grove. the The husband, uh, Shige's husband, and uh, Yone's son, um, we we learn has been conscripted. He like basically a group of, uh, uh, of samurai wandered through this farm and were like, Hey, you look like a strong guy. You're going to come with us. Um, leaving, uh, Yone and Shige alone. When this other band of samurai show up and we learn later that some time has passed between, um, uh, their sons are Yone's sons, uh, uh, conscription and, and the events of the film. About three years. Yeah. About three years, yeah, specifically three years because, anyway, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so they wander across, uh, this, this farm and, um, maybe aren't the best guests. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they take the, the Viking approach to asking for a cup of sugar. Uh, <laughs> just fucking break down your door, steal all your food then rape you and leave you to die in a burning house. It's really the, it's the, it's the Viking hello. <laughs> it is. It's the, the, the old Viking tip of the chapeau. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they, uh, so uh, it, the thing that's kind of great about this opening scene, other than the fact that it, it establishes like, oh, this is going to be kind of beautiful. Like this movie looks great from jump. But also uh, we see th- like probably my favorite shot of the opening scenes are as this group of samurai are kind of taking their turns raping both Shige and Yone. Um, there's a shot of one of them dumping rice into his mouth mm-hmm. and it's just the most bestial way of eating possible. I mean, it's just, it's falling out of his mouth and dri- dribbling down his, his chin and chest and he's just staring like he's watching these two women get raped to death. Um, it is incredibly disturbing. And, and this isn't graphic. I mean, again, this is 1968 and, and there were, you know, the, the, this is also a period and we'll get into this in the interstitial stuff, but this is kind of the prime period for erotic ghost films in Japan. Yes. Um, and, and this, like, there's nothing erotic about this scene though. Um, it is, it's brutal. It's savage. It's not so graphic that it's off putting, but there's no question what's happening. Um, and yeah. And then they, they set fire to the farm and it's another great shot where you see, uh, the samurai disappear into the forest that they emerged from. And as soon as they do that smoke begins billowing from, you know, this house. Um, it's also worth pointing out at this point that, you know, it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, Yone and Shige are, um, they're peasants, you know, they're poor, they're dressed very plainly, um, and, and so forth. And in the movie or the not movie, but this sequence ends with them lying, uh, in the, the burned out husk of this house and a, a black cat, the titular Koronika, mm-hmm. um, begins eating them essentially 
are licking them, but yeah, I, I feel like there's some chewing going on when it gets to the <laughs> Yeah, think think Michelle Pfeiffer and Catwoman. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, so uh so this black cat um yeah, just kind of wanders into the wreckage of the house and, and starts licking the faces of the the now dead women. And like I said, I think there's a, a bit of you know <laughs> consumption as well. Um, interesting note, Duncan, about cats. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is, let me flip over to my other page of notes. Um, there is an old, not really old wives tale. It's it's sort of an old superstition about cats Mm -hmm. that when cats are kittens, you should remove their tails. Because if you let the tails grow, they could it, they could eventually become two tails. Uh, at which point they become uh, a bakeneko, which are goblin cats. <laughs> which sounds awesome. <laughs> Why would you not want to own a goblin cat? Right, like hey, I, if there were a bakeneko store. I would be there right now instead of talking to you to get myself a goblin cat. Um, <laughs> but, but like these stories of kind of ghost cats and demon cats, and goblin cats and all that kind of stuff. Um, they, they were so prevalent, uh, that, um, the Bakaneko stories eventually became known as Bakaneko Mono, um, which is translated to monster cat tales, like T A L E S, not I L S. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, again, we're just kind of, the foundation of this story is, is very traditional. Yeah, it's deep, deeply rooted into the culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so, like, the idea of, of these monster cats, um, which is the sequel to Thundercats, not nearly as popular. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, but the idea of the monster cat is, is, is kind of not just prevalent in, in Japanese culture and Japanese storytelling. Um, but enough so that it's just like, oh yeah, there's a whole subsection of storytelling and movies and stuff like that, that just deal with this. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, again, think is kind of wonderful. Uh, although, uh, what, what is the other, the ghost cat of Otama Pond is probably the next most famous, uh, uh in regard to Kuroneko and, and the idea of ghost cats and stuff like that. Although, um, it like Ghost Cat of Atama Pond, um, which I I haven't seen, but I've you know done my research, Duncan, and <laughs> um that also includes a film or a, a situation in which women are ultimately transformed into monster cats, mm-hmm. um much like Kuroneko. So uh yeah, so that's where the opening ends. That that sets up our our tragedy. And, um, as we talked about on the Juan show, if you happen to be a person who has been wronged in life, particularly if you're a lady folk, Mm -hmm. if you were killed in this manner, you're probably not going to rest in peace. No. (laughs) Yeah. You may have a grudge with someone. I see what I did there. Oh, (laughs) that makes up for the cool cat comment for sure. (laughs) That's my that's my overdub Asian laugh. Like a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, <laughs> we'll just do that for the rest of the episode. <laughs> like no more discussion, just us trading dubbed laughs. 
Um, oh, the Dove Laugh podcast, I'll tell you. That's a, I want to make it happen now. Yeah, yeah. It's... I smell a sidecast. <laughs> right. Um, so we move from there to, uh, back to Regimon Gate, or for the first time to, to the, the structure. Again, that figures prominently in Japanese history and is kind of known as being both symbolic of, uh, of success and victory and equally of disrepair and, and neglect and also danger. So, uh, we are treated to, uh, a wandering samurai wandering by himself. Uh, by the uh, Regimon Gate, and um, there are some uh, gymnastics as we see a a figure clad in in white uh, flipping around a little bit, and then uh, there appears uh, Shige, who we know as Shige in the in the film. Um, only now she is dressed as. Uh, not necessarily noble, but certainly upper class. Mm-hmm. Uh, not no longer a peasant uh, in terms of her finery. Um, she is even decorated uh, like uh, the the makeup she wears is very traditionally um, upper class, even to the um, kind of broad, high eyebrows painted on. Yeah, where she looks like she's constantly surprised. Yeah, yeah, and again, that's something that you know from from uh, uh, Japanese culture is, is indicative of someone who is uh, not a peasant for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a sign of you know culture, nobility, that sort of stuff. Exactly, nobility is the word I was looking for. Well done, Duncan. Thank um, you. <laughs> you get you get our official Kurdoneko prize today, which is a goblin cat. Oh yeah, great! I, I can't wait to receive my goblin cat. so um and this is kind of where we get into the erotic ghost portion of our film uh because the whole plot of uh the characters of yone and shige um now that they have uh died Mm -hmm. and returned as wealthier ghost cat ladies um is our more noble ghost cat ladies um essentially they the whole plan is to uh for shige in particular to appear on the road through this grove and she you know says like oh you know i i don't want to go through it's dark and even though i know the way i'm scared basically luring the samurai into uh playing the chivalrous part mm-hmm. and saying like i'll see you home and uh, so they they wander to this uh, the you know a, a pretty nice house in the middle of this bamboo grove, mm-hmm. and then the samurai is plied with food and sake and until he gets drunk and then he attacks uh, Shige, mm-hmm. uh, you know in a romantic way, <laughs> and meanwhile uh, Yone does kind of a traditional dance and. Uh, in the background. Um, and they, they pose as, you know, mother and daughter. And, uh, and once the samurai decides it's time to get down, AKA rape the lady I saw home who gave me some sake. Yes. Um, then, uh, the samurai gets it. Um, <laughs> like, uh, she gave, uh, 
you know, basically rips the throat out of this guy and, and drinks his blood. Mm-hmm. And, and we see a little bit of repetition of this. There are a couple instances and, and including a, 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 a montage in which we see, um, these samurai with their throats ripped out, uh, lying amidst, uh, the burned out husk of the house that had been burned down long ago. And it's only during nighttime does it look like a real house again. Yeah. You know, it's a, a phantom house. And, uh, so, and we, we see like that they've been at this for a little bit, you know, that there's, Samurai we see in, in different locations and with their throats ripped out and usually always accompanied by a peasant or group of peasants like rifling through the body and stealing whatever they can, whether it's, you know, armor or clothes or whatever. And, uh, in that way, our, our ghost cat ladies, um, are, are sort of, I don't know, champions of the people in a way. I mean, <laughs> not, I mean not directly, but, but they're certainly, a notion of like, oh yeah, the peasants are kind of hard off, and if they see a dead samurai, it's not all that upsetting. Yeah, the the, the peasants are reaping the benefits of the situation, which is indirectly caused by by the the the, the specters in this in this movie. I, the, the, less the, the, when you said that at first, I got this image of Robin Hood in bamboo. Yeah, uh, like right. I was like that. No, that they're not that. They're not that. But yes, you're right. I think it's to kind of stress the point that the peasants are, or or even like farmers, are so poor that if they see a body, they will they will you know remove anything of value from it. Um, and that's kind of it's kind of what's happening. I think it's to underlie that point that the poor are that you know are that poor. Basically, in this in this situation, and samurais are have things on them, have things on their person that makes them a target. So. Sure, sure. Um, all right, so we then kind of shift our focus away from our goblin cat ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, on sadly, in my my estimation, <laughs> but um, we got to get this story moving. So we uh, we go instead to uh, Hachi who has killed um, uh, an enemy general by the name of Kumasu Nahiko mm-hmm. and has cut off his head and returned um, to uh, the the guy who essentially conscripted him, uh, a guy named uh, uh, Reiko, mm-hmm. and shows him the head and is like, hey, I killed this big general. And, uh, and Reiko asks, asks his name and he says, well, you know, I was asked by this general, and uh, I don't really have a battle name, which, you know, traditionally is a, a, a thing that you earn. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says that uh, he tells the guy, uh, the, the enemy general, that his name was uh, uh, Jintoki from the Grove, and or of the Grove, uh, before he kills him. And yeah, so, Reiko... Yeah, go it's ahead. It's a lesser-known lesser Japanese cover of Jenny from the Block. Yes. Uh... <laughs> Kentucky from the the Grove though is probably the better album. I would agree, definitely. There was less kind of look at my bling, look at my thing. You know, what I mean, it was it was more, it was more uh, more decapitation. Yeah, look at me save these uh, these uh, civilians by decapitating the general enemy of 
my enemy who's my friend. I don't know where I was going with that. But yeah, yeah, that's, I, I love how he retells the story as well because he's fairly honest about how he does it. You know what I mean? Because it's an opportunistic kill. He was fleeing from this guy who was wielding a giant fucking club with spikes on it. Yep. Um, and he basically managed to outrun the guy to a point where he sank into some marsh area. And as soon as he realised that, our man turned around and, and gave him what for. So, yeah. But it does kind of come clean with that, that, you know, that he, he kind of plays it off more that it was a tactical act, but it at least says, you know, he, he took him out into an area where he got stuck in then, and then uh, claimed his head. Yeah. Like Highlander. Yeah, it, but it's pretty great. As he's telling this story, he's, you know, all trashed out and dirty, and mm. he's holding this head that is equally trashed out and dirty, which I like. <laughs> yeah. like. Like, it turns out decapitated heads don't travel well. <laughs> uh which is good information uh for you serial killers among us mm-hmm. um yeah it's it, it's pretty great and on the back end of this we have uh reiko um making him a samurai like saying you are officially now you know jintoki of the grove you're a samurai we've got all these uh ladies here to give you a, a bath and you know you're you're my guy now. I've got uh, what well, what was I? I have, I have four people that I count on, and you're going to be my fifth. Yeah, <laughs> like I have I have the the my four elite officers, and guess what? You just made number five. Yeah, you did it, Jintoki of the Grove. You have yeah. made it. Get and that's that's essentially that's what it means to to be in that position. Like, cause we we find out that this this samurai overlords position is very much that you know these guys are the, are the future of the the japanese empire you yeah know, the, the the ultimately there is yes there is an emperor out there or there there are a ruling class but the samurai will eventually be the ruling class as far as he's concerned because there's nothing that can stop them they take what they want and they are formidable so by coming part of that you'll never need to worry about being a farmer again and not being able to be fed, you know, not having money, clothes, women or the rest, you've now made it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because of, of this period in, in Japanese history being so um, concentrated in war and steeped in, in, in battle Mm. that, yeah, that, that is the idea of, well, you know, samurai are the only people who can fight these battles. So that makes us the most powerful. Like the politicians are weak. Mm-hmm. And without us, they're nothing. Without you know, without us, the peasants are nothing. Like we, we are the shit. And now you're the shit because you're <laughs> one of us. Like if anyone's ever seen the movie The Last Samurai, it's kind of the inversion of that story. <laughs> God. Um, What's well, yeah. right, ah, that movie's a good movie. It's all right. It's, it's, it's a good. You need to go back and watch that one. You're, you're probably right. It's been years. It's called, Billy Connolly beside Tom Cruise. That is worth watching it purely for that. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, no, no one is arguing that Billy Connolly is not a, a national treasure. He is a national. Don't tell me that America's claimed him. Uh, we've claimed everything. Oh, there we go. Well, he does live in America, so yeah, um, yeah, he's wonderful. Um, but yeah, it's you know, it, it it's an interesting scene. I, like because of my interest in Japanese culture and and Japanese history, which is both long and complicated, it turns out. Um, you know, seeing the the stuff from this period that is such a tumultuous period, 
Um, and, and, and sort of the, like the traditional ceremonies, like one of the things I find interesting about this movie is nobody can just pick something up and, and carry it over to someone else. It's like, uh, you know, whether it's the, uh, doing the, the sake with, uh, uh, Shige and Yone, uh, when they're, when they're ghosts and, you know, offering food and drink to the, the wandering samurai or whether it's, um, you know, Jintoki himself, um, that you, you have to go Go to the item that you want to pick up, kneel down, grab the item, stand up, walk in essentially a a, a straight line mm-hmm. in one direction, then turn and pivot to the person who you want to give the thing, then kneel down again, and then present them with, you know, the sake or the, the tea or the object or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it's this very formal you know, uh, sort of presentation that I really kind of love. Like I would never want to do it because it's just not practical and I am nothing, nothing if not utilitarian, <laughs> but it is, it, but the, it is kind of gorgeous, you know, as, as, as gorgeous as a spectator to look at. Yes. Yes. And, and there is a lot like this film. Uh, we haven't really touched on this, but I, I would say as a word of not warning, but just as a, to, to measure expectations for this film, if you've never seen it, this movie is not what you would call moving at a rollicking pace. No. <laughs> yeah, it's not a long movie. It's about an hour and... In fact, it is. It's about an hour and 40. Yeah. Which, for a, for a kind of horror movie, even of this time, is a bit long. Um, but it's because... It's not even necessarily a slow burn, because you get a lot of killing... Or, like the killing happens in this movie all the way through. It's just we kind of know where the story's going, but the the film likes to labour on certain shots, not in a, a way which I would put forward as a a slight against it, but it labours over things to kind of stress where we are, how things are, how things look, and it it, it kind of follows very similar to what you're saying. Um, this kind of idea of Japanese tradition of of ceremony. Uh, the film kind of labours on those points. So if someone walks in one direction and then kind of pivots to turn around instead of walking straight to the person, this movie does the same. And the way it's shot with the story, it takes you in one direction, then kind of pivots to give you the kill that you want, and then takes you back in a very formal way to the next scene. Yeah, but it's, you know, and we'll we'll probably discuss this more later, but the cinematography and the use of lighting and... and... And all that stuff. I mean, it's a gorgeous movie to look at, and and that's sort of that's sort of the 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 caveat of this film is it, go into it expecting to linger on shots, and you're going to be fine. And just like the movie encourages you to notice and appreciate the construction of the shots, um, and it's it's beautiful. Like this is probably the third time I've seen it uh, in preparation for the show. Mm-hmm. And I'm constantly struck by, there's a scene we'll get to later where spotlights on characters are constantly shifting. Yeah. And it's, oh, it's so good. It looks so beautiful. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful movie, but let's get back to murder. So, um, as, uh, Jintoki becomes a samurai and, and is given his samurai name, uh, his, uh, his, Master uh, Reiko says, hey, we've been losing a lot of samurai recently uh, around Regimon Gate. 
and we find them with their throats ripped out. So there's probably some monster or beast and you need to go kill it. Uh, so how about you do that? That's going to be your big samurai assignment. Um, is you're going to go find out what's going on, uh, with the samurai and you're going to, uh, to kill whomever or whatever it is that is, uh, that is causing their deaths leading to his first encounter with, uh, the ghost, the specter, the phantom of, uh, of Shige. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's, it's the same move. It's, you know, I'm, I'm, I need to be taken home. Uh, will you take me there? But, it's clear from jump that Shige, uh, knows who this is. You know, this is, even though he is, uh, now known as Shintoki, you know, this is Hachi. This is her husband. And, uh, she leads him back to the phantom house, um, uh, and, uh, does the usual thing. You know, the, uh, Yone comes in, um, you know, they're greeting him and he's like, Say, <laughs> you ladies look a lot like my my mom and my wife. Are you them? And they're like, no, we we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and play very coy. And he's like, how long have you lived here? And they're like, oh, two years. And he's like, really? Because three years ago, I had to go off to war. And I left my mom and my wife who looks suspiciously like you mm -hmm. uh, in, in a house that is now all burned out. And uh, so are you sure you're not them? And they're like, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just now going, oh, someone, someone out there, has to film you dressed like like as a geisha. Um, and so it's like, <laughs> are you born Ransdorf? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, someone make that happen, please. <laughs> um, <laughs> so at this at this point, uh, like Jintoki uh, or Jintoki starts to ask some pretty hard hitting questions, like. Are you sure you're not my wife? And are you monsters by any chance? Um, and, and the, the scene kind of culminates with him, uh, drawing his sword and, and uh, making the leap of logic, although not a crazy leap of logic that, hey, maybe these two, uh, specters here, um, are, are ghost ladies and they're killing all the samurai. Yeah. But they also look remarkably like my, my wife and mom. <laughs> So he pulls his sword and starts swiping it around and then, uh, finds himself in the burned out husk of the house and, and the, the ghost ladies have gone. Um, so he, he comes away from this experience, uh, empty handed, but with the, uh, the nagging idea that maybe, um, his, his mother and his, his wife have been, uh, have been killed somehow. Um, and that they may be ghosts or that there are demons taking the shape of, of his wife and mother. And when he returns again, uh, you know, we see him kind of searching for them, you know, calling out for his mother and, and so forth. Um, and, and basically saying like, look, I'm, I don't want to kill you anymore. I just want to see you. I just want to talk to you. And finally they appear. Shige appears to him 
and and leads him back to to the house. And here we we get our first real understanding of what it is that's going on uh, in in terms of the supernatural side of this story. Um, you know, I mean, obviously there has been supernatural stuff afoot uh, or a paw in this case. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, but the, 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 essentially they're saying like, Hey, I'm not the person you think I am because I can't really tell you who I am. But, uh, what I can say is that, um, you know, you should come back because I really want to be, or the, you know, Shige is saying like, we should be together mm-hmm. and, uh, they, they end up making love. Um, we see several scenes of this in which, you know, it's, it's, um, Jintoki returning to the house night after night with the, the warning of like, you need to be gone by dawn. Mm-hmm. Like once, once the sun rises, this, this is all going to go away. And he spends a lot of nights getting down with his wife who doesn't really admit that she's his wife, mm-hmm. but looks like her and, and unlike her interactions with other samurai that usually ends with a uh, cat like throat ripping. Um, in this case, Shige is just kind of down for it. Like, you know, she is clearly passionately in love with him. Um, and this culminates in, uh, his return and suddenly Shige is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we truly learn at this point that Shige was a spirit who had made a, a deal with the God of evil, mm-hmm. which, you know, like you do, uh, after you've been raped and murdered, the God of <laughs> evil is kind of your guy. I make a deal with the God of evil every time I wake up with a hangover that if it's gone in like five minutes, I will be his eternal servant. And it's not worked yet, but it happens often. I, yeah, I've, I've tried to make that deal myself, and I, I think maybe it's our eagerness <laughs> that is, is kind of keeping the god of evil at bay. He's like, you said that you, you've literally just woken up with your hangover. Had you been suffering with it for maybe about two days, maybe I would entertain it, but it seems a bit rash. Yeah, yeah, and also, like, this is low-hanging fruit for the god of evil. Like, you know, the god of evil wants nuns, and, you know demure Japanese ladies who are just waiting for their husband slash son to return home and, and that kind of thing. Like our dark souls, um, you know, he's like, look, I, you're coming. Don't worry. Like you and I will chat, but not now. Um, yeah. So what, what Shige has done and, and this is maybe my favorite thing in the movie um, when, uh, Yone, um, is telling her son in a very roundabout way, because she still insists that she cannot truly say who she is or what is happening. But in a roundabout way says, yes, she was your wife. Uh, or he really is the one who says like, that was really her. Right. And she's like, I can't really say, but she essentially, defies the God of evil by not killing samurai. And the deal that they have made is that they will not rest until they have killed and drink the blood of every samurai. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because of all the raping and murdering, which is understandable. Yeah, oh yeah. And Shige, though, loved her husband so much that she could not bring herself to kill him. And instead, by by refusing to do so, and, and instead giving her or giving him her heart uh is, is sort of the way it's it's phrased in the film. Uh and this is my favorite thing when Yone says she was plunged headlong into hell mm-hmm. and that she will suffer for eternity because instead of killing him, she instead chose to love him. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that's so good. Yeah. Oh that's just, that, yeah, that's that's absolutely it's is the impact of it. You know, they could just see, like, a, a, under a lesser story, it screams a lot towards, like, that kind of Japanese culture as well. Is any other, like, any other kind of output of this one would be, she broke her vow, so she's no longer in the, the land of the living. You know, she's been returned from when she came. But no, no, she, she is fiery pits of hell being tortured for forever. And that, that was because of you, that's because you gave her the D for seven days. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So Yone is like, look, she's never coming back. She is, she is straight up in hell at this point. And, um, and at that point, you know, uh, we, we have our first, um, you know, sort of attack, um, mm-hmm. where, uh, Jintoki, you know, goes after his mom kind of, and, um, cuts her and then she, you know, jumps away all acrobatic like and then she decides that without uh uh shige around to keep her in check uh yone straight up goes on a murder spree <laughs> she yeah, kills it sounds, yeah it like she was bad cop in this equation <laughs> right it kind of is like yone is like look i'm down to kill all the samurais like shige loves you and i love you too but i don't love you enough to go to hell Shige, on the other hand, was like, I'm totally down with that if I can just have, you know, a little more time with my husband, whom I love. And, uh, but once, once that story is kind of revealed, uh, but yeah, Yone just, just starts killing samurai left and right. And at this point, Reiko, our, our samurai master here, is like, hey, Jintoki, what the fuck? <laughs> Like, I told you to kill these things, or to kill the monster that's killing all the samurai, and they're dropping, like, flies around Regimont Gate. And he's like, well, there were two of them, it turns out, uh, Jintoki says, and one of them's not coming back. And I'm not telling you why, but she ain't coming back. Yeah, well, it's difficult to admit to anyone that you fucked a ghost, so... Like, yeah, I fucked a goblin cat. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not not impossible, but you know, there's all that. There's the awkwardness afterwards. There's the fact that you know that he's going to tell someone else. And next time you're you're sitting down to have lunch in the 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 samurai canteen, people are going to be pointing and snickering, calling you cat fucker. You don't want that. No one wants to be called a cat fucker, bro. Um, yeah, you know, I've been called worse. so. Uh, big called worse today, as a matter of fact. <laughs> not off me. Not not from you, but yeah, you know, I have neighbors. Uh, yeah, he's neighbors. <laughs> they're just constantly hurling insults at me. Uh, it's the life I lead, Duncan. Um, 
So I, I was so a, a Tennessee a Tennessee wake up call. Is that yes. what someone just screams obscenities at you? <laughs> That's what they call. Yeah, the old Tennessee you're, alarm clock. You're a piece of human garbage, asshole. And I'm like, okay, I'm up. I'm up. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Mrs. Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, mom. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, what I love about this though is that Rico is like, you know, you need to go. Uh, you need to go kill this thing. And, um, you know, poor Gentoki is like, look, man, can you send somebody else? I can't tell you why, but this is kind of a difficult position for me. Yeah, I'm not saying have, don't kill her. You, you have four other generals, remember? He said something about them. Can one of them not do it? Yeah, and Rico is like, bull to the shit. <laughs> it's either going to be you or I'm going to kill you for not performing the task I've I've ordered for you. So, obviously, a bit of a sticky wicket. Yeah, so it, I, I like to think from his master's position, though, that's harsh but fair. I mean, yeah. Well, if, I, if I said to you, go and make me a cup of tea, and you came back with a glass of hot water, and I was like, where's my tea bag? Where's the milk? Well, you know, what, why is there no tea in this cup? And you were like, that? Ah, you know, I did half the job. Can't you get someone else to do it? I'd be pissed off, Bo. Right, I'll tell you, get right back in there and make that, or I will kill you. But if I were, like, if the tea bag in question were my mother, <laughs> I would still argue, like, look, I can't tell you exactly what's going on, but trust me, it's a stickier situation than you're implying. <laughs> As all tea bag related family issues are. Yeah, well, I, I was trying to relate it to something that American listeners um, would relate to British people, that we all drink tea. So I thought that worked quite well. I thought it culturally fit the aesthetic of what I was going for. So yeah. Right. And and in fairness, uh, tea, also big in Asia. So yes, it is, works. Yes. My God. Well done. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Not just not just a pretty face, but... <laughs> no, Certainly not. Um <laughs> I don't, I didn't mean to emphasize that quite that way. Uh, but yeah, so he's got to go out and kill his mom now. And uh, so, you know, he goes hunting for, and uh, on their next confrontation, um, he, he has her arm. Uh, yeah, but it looks like at the next confrontation, it looks like she... From his point of view, it looks like she is giving up. It looks like she has basically said, listen, I don't want to to get in the way of you and your life. If you read this kind of eulogy for me... Yeah, the, will, uh, the sutra, yeah. Yeah, it will allow me to move on to the, the afterlife and not hurt people and all the rest. And he's done with that. He's like, yeah, we can go for a walk and all the rest until she steps over a puddle and says, watch out for that puddle. And then he looks down and he sees her demon face. Well, one of several demon faces that she actually has in this. And at that point, he's like, wait one second. She is a demon. <laughs> what You're... am I doing? <laughs> oh, God. You're right. Yeah. Like you look like a goblin cat and then <laughs> goes after her and uh in ends up like you know she's hopping around him but he ends up getting in one good swing and and takes her left arm mm-hmm. and uh it carries transforms, it transforms back into this cat arm giant yeah. cat arm yeah 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 it it yeah it goes from like human mom arm to <laughs> like a monkey's paw almost 
And it's, it's pretty rad. And Gentoki uh, goes back to Reiko and is like, hey, man, here's this arm uh, from the monster. And uh, I don't. I don't think she's going to be bothering us anymore. It turns out it was a real monster. And then Reiko, you know, I, I actually, I think it's an earlier scene, but he tells a great story about like, you know, I was supposed to go kill this demon on, on a mountain and I got there and it was just a bandit, but that's not a great story. Yeah. So I killed the bandit, but when I came back, I just told everyone I killed the demon. And, uh, but in this case, like Jintoki is like, no, 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 look, demon arm. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm not you. This is the way I listen. It's, it's like when you try. It's like when you ask advice from someone, but you're trying to set off as it's not advice for you. So I have this friend who has a problem. Um, you know, you're like, "Is this friend you?" No, no, no. It's this, it's this, this friend. And in the case of this one, he's like, "No, no, no." They're like, look, it is a giant cat paw. This is clearly a beast. Um, and he's like, "Oh, right, right." But you've only brought me his arm. Yeah, I'm back now. Look what I've done. Yeah, and he's like, "Okay, we're gonna tell everybody that you killed it." Yeah, and it's we're gonna we're gonna let all the people know it's gonna be a big to do. But before that happens, you've got to go to this purification ritual, which is basically sticking him inside this uh, this temple for seven days, where he he purifies himself from from the. Uh, one assumes the influence of the demon, having come into contact with the demon and whatnot. And you've got to be uh, be uh, purified before uh, the god of light, mm. and um, it becomes very Game of Thrones. And and <laughs> so, but this leads to my my next favorite scene in the movie, uh, besides the kind of revelation scene, uh, which I think is wonderful. Um, but. Uh, all of a sudden his mother's voice starts kind of swirling around this house mm-hmm. and is like, give me back my arm. <laughs> and he's like, no way. And she's like, come on, <laughs> give me my arm back. And she can't get in. Like is she, it, it's sort of a vampire scenario of like, you have to let me in kind of thing. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> I love this movie, and I'm, I'm already like finding funny bits of it. All of a sudden, give me back my arm. No, give me back my arm. No, please give me back my arm. No, no, you're not. Please, come on. I'm your mum. Yeah, <laughs> just give me. Your mum says, give me back her arm. Like, right. come on. <laughs> Don't be a jerk. How about you give me back the arm you took off? I gave you life. Now give me my arm. Yeah, and and the the other thing she says is that's kind of my weapon. Like, I can't kill samurai and drink their blood, which is kind of my bag, without that arm. And That's so. Claw hand. Claw hand. Yeah. So, like, you understand the situation I'm in, Jintogi. How about, <laughs> how about you just give me the arm back and I'll go back to killing samurai and we'll call it a day. Mm. Uh, and he's like, no, go away. Uh, and she finally does. Kind of. Because then she comes back and does a real land shark on him. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're making light of this, but it's great. Like, it's a great moment. I love, like I said, I, I, I genuinely adore the scene where it's his mother's voice kind of coming from all corners of the room asking for this arm back. I think it's really kind of creepy. And But when she comes back and land sharks him, 
she's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm a, a priestess sort of from, uh, the emperor. <laughs> and he's like, Hey, I need you to go talk to this, uh, samurai that's being purified. So can you let me in? And he's like, I don't think I should. And she's like, no, no, the emperor said she's going to kill you and Reiko if you don't open the door and let me do my, my priestess thing. And uh, he's like, eh, all right. And finally lets her in. And it's clearly his mother. Like, that's the, the thing oh, yeah. that uh, about the movie that is like, you know, eh, maybe this is a, a, a bit not silly. It just it, like it's clearly her. Yeah, well, I, I think the thing is as well is he met her previously for all of... The first time he met her in demon form, he sat opposite her for less than 30 seconds and was like, you kind of look like my mum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the case of this one, she walks in with some weird sort of spatter yeah, effect up like her a, face. a pox, if you will. Yeah, and that's enough to throw him off the scent. Right, and, and so he's like, so... Um, Especially right after his mum's voice has been outside saying, give me my arm. Right, you you would think you would put two and two together and be like, maybe <laughs> she's just trying to bamboozle me. <laughs> um, you, you old sly boots, you. Uh, <laughs> so, but when she comes in and she's like, hey, that cat arm's pretty dope. How about you bring it over here? Mm. Uh, because I can't really touch it because I'm I'm a, like a priestess of yin and yang and not the light. So I can't really touch it. And again, just every sign in the world being like cat lady right here. <laughs> Here's the demon cat right sitting right here. That looks like your mom. And he's like, yeah. and his line is, this is all very troublesome. And just, <laughs> it's so good. And he gets up and, it, and, and again, in the presentation manner of like, I'm going to go to the cat arm. I'm going to kneel down. Let me get the cat arm. Then I'm going to stand up and then I'm going to walk over to you. I'm going to kneel down again. Here's your cat arm. And then as he gives it to her, he's like, say. <laughs> Which is pretty much how it's delivered. Yeah. <laughs> Where's your left arm? And she's like, what? This old thing? And then, like, you know, Goblin Cat's out on him and starts hopping around the room and stuff. And he starts swinging at her. And, and... Well, we get, our se- we get our second demon face at this point. Which oh, right, is... right, right. Yeah, so, like, she has, I think it's about three or four demon faces that we see through this one. And the second demon face represents far more what you would class as being a kind of demon no mask. So it's kind of like a a Hanya mask or something like that. It's like the the makeup's drawn, the mouth into almost like a Joker smile. And there's, you know, she looks very demonic for, like, a split second. And then she changes into her third demon face which is more cat like um and then she puts the the paw in her mouth and then just starts like martial art flipping everywhere and floating across the ceiling and it's 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 pretty amazing yeah it's it's pretty great i like i love all the makeup in this even when it's real subtle Mm -hmm. but probably my favorite look is kind of that first cat woman look Yep. Where it's just kind of the raised bridge of the nose and stuff. I think that looks real cool. Um, so, yeah. So, she's hopping all over the room and he's chasing after and swinging uh, his sword and whatnot. And then she uh, completely pieces out by jumping through the ceiling. 
in an amazing way because she just keeps going. <laughs> yeah, just takes off. And the whole time, she's got the, the lopped off arm in her mouth mm-hmm. as she's jumping around. Oh, it's so good. I, oh, I love this scene. Um, and then, yeah, and then so she fucks off out of the ceiling. <laughs> and he chases after her. Yeah. And kind of the end of the film is upon us all all too quickly um, because he goes to, you know, the burned out wreckage of, of the house and is swinging his sword around all crazy like and and then just seems to die. Yeah, it, 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 I think it's the effect of everything. I think he's, he's I think it's a combination of exhaustion, grief and kind of partial insanity that just kind of takes over him and he lies down and it snows over him. And we can only assume, because this movie never really explicitly tells you anything, um, which I quite like about it, he, he's, his eyes are closed and the snow comes down on him in the burned out wreckage of his, his mother's house. Yeah. And and the last thing we see is a, a cat coming along, another yeah. Kuroniko, uh, and, and licks his face. Yeah. And and then we're we're done. There endeth uh, Kuroniko. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, end, of, end, of, <laughs> end of show. Oh, my friends, it's time to pour the wine and light the candles because it's about to get sexy here on Hero Hero Go Show. Kuroneko falls into a category of Japanese films that are associated with ghosts and eroticism, but these films were just a subgenre of the larger force in Japanese cinema called pink iga, or pink films. Despite the native term, the phrase is generally attributed to American servicemen stationed in Japan following World War II. Before that, pornographic cinema was related to underground screenings in blue movies, or boru mubi, from smut peddlers referred to as Iroto Gushi. In 1949, the EIRIN was established, short for Administration Commission of Motion Picture Code of Ethics, trust me on that. The EIRIN was set up to police sexually explicit and violent imagery in Japanese films, much like the MPAA in the US or BBFC in the UK. The EIRIN set three specific areas not for public consumption. First, no genitals could be shown at all. Second, no pubic hair could be visible. And third, no genital penetration could be shown. While you might think that covers just about everything, no self-respecting sexual being would see these three guidelines as being a true restriction to the kind of movies that would gain worldwide notoriety. You see, while the type of pornography we might see as mainstream was unacceptable due to these rules, nothing was said about scenes depicting sexual violence or sadomasochism. While you might have to fog out that hint of a penis or vagina in your shot, you could still show a bare-breasted Japanese woman being savagely whipped with no repercussions. Fortunately for all of us, Pink Ega was not limited to purient voyeurism. Alongside the rise of Pink Ega was the Japanese New Wave, led by directors named Oshima and Takeichi and Kobayashi. Tetsuji Takeshi's Daydream is often cited as the first pink film, but it had more than titillation to recommend it. Daydream is a weird blend of torture and rape and dentistry, and was the first movie to reach public consciousness with a blatantly erotic storyline. Takeshi's next movie, Black Snow, released in 1965, 
led to Takechi actually being arrested on obscenity charges. He was eventually found innocent, but this and his body of work led to Takechi's title of Godfather of Japanese Porno Cinema. In addition to the movies offering up scenes of erotically charged violence, many of the directors took the scandalous material to criticize the politics of the time and traditional notions of romantic love. The first wave of pink cinema lasted until about 1972 and became surprisingly popular. During the same time, television was growing in popularity in Japan, and the Japanese box office had taken a hit. Movies like Daydream and Kobayashi's Market of Flesh were very popular and generated sales that are often cited as saving studios like Tohi and Nikatsu and even, depending on the historian, the whole of the Japanese film industry. Now, circling back to Kuroneko, the erotic ghost story in Japan of this time was less sexually explicit than the broader scope of pink films, but retained notions of sexuality and violence nonetheless. Additionally, a theme haunting the erotic ghost tale is that of transformation. Heavily influenced by kabuki and no theater styles, these films also incorporated the notion of someone turning into a ghost or demon. According to one critic, these movies symbolize both the turbulent socioeconomic changes of the time and religious beliefs. In Shinto, for example, kami can inhabit any living thing, while Buddhism goes further by suggesting that the cycle of reincarnation further diminishes the line between human and animal, and suggests that a certain comfort with the natural and bestial is actually positive. Speaking of beasts, you're listening to the animalistic Duncan McLeish on this very episode. If you haven't already, check out his show, The Podcast Under the Stairs, right here on legionpodcasts.com, and iTunes, as well as his excellent series, Chronicle, which explores the world of European horror. Kind of sounds like this show, only European instead of Asian. There's a whole season of Chronicle revolving around vampires waiting for you right now. So, with that out of the way, let's all enjoy a post-segment cigarette and a little more pillow talk with me and Duncan McLeish. I feel like we ought to begin in our deeper discussion of this film with just how beautiful it is. Yeah, it's, it's one of the... Like, I am instantly seduced by any movie that's in black and white. I love black and white. Um, and there is good black and white and there is bad black and white. And the good ones are the ones that are really aware of their use of light. And light is an important thing. And this is why I was coming back to comparisons to Bava. Like, if you watch, like, Bava's, like, uh, Black Sunday. Um, sorry, Black Sabbath, sorry. If you, if you, no, Black Sunday, I was right first time. Uh, if you check it, Black, uh, Black Sunday for the first time. I mean, the, the movie is an inherently beautiful and has a really gothic feel. But where the movie completely shines is that this is a cinematographer who's making a movie who is ultimately aware 100% of how to set up a shot, where the lighting should be to make sense, and all the trickery that's used in that movie is used by the lighting, and that's exactly the same in Kuroneko. It's shot in black and white, and, you know, we have a lot of... Even though it predates Kubrick, there's a lot of Kubrickian, like, long long shots of, of, of forest and bamboo groves and all the rest... But the lighting plays around with so many different aspects to to give warmth to a scene, um, and then to accentuate demon features in the makeup, to to make characters look like they're doing things that they aren't really doing. 
And it's it's just a masterclass in lighting and cinematography. And this movie is is one of the most beautiful Japanese horror movies ever made by a director who is fully aware of what he's doing. Um, and the light can be harsh and can be soft in the same scene, and it's it's just it's incredible. It, it, and it it is instantly likened to me to that of Baba. Or, or, or that ilk of directors that came out after Baba who were very aware of of camera trickery and lighting. Like the the, the old nuts and bolts of of making a movie um was where your camera's positioned and how you light the scene. And it's 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 perfect. It's perfect in this movie. Yeah. And in that scene that I love so much between uh Jintoki and his mother, as he's kind of chasing after her and trying to get the story and so forth. And they're kind of scurrying away from one another throughout the scene. Mm-hmm. And you'll see like, uh, uh, Yone, uh, scurry away from him into darkness. And then the light will come up like a spotlight will come up on her mm-hmm. and then he'll chase after her and a light comes up on him. And it almost feels very, uh, like a stage production almost. Well, yeah, th- this, that's the thing that kind of, that struck me certainly about watching this is if you know anything about like Japan has always had this tradition of theater and storytelling and but well before movies you know I mean they had all these things and they would put on these things uh, called like no please um and that's not no that's noh and it's to do with the masks that people wore and and a similar manner to Shakespeare's penchant for having men played the role of women um, they would do the same in Japan men would ultimately play female characters as well as male characters um, but there's a, there's when we get into their like um, their kind of stately uh, pagoda sort of home um, it feels like we have this one set characters move in and out and the light follows them and it, and it feels very much like a traditional no play Um and that kind of works to its, its credit because a lot of the demon stories, a lot of their horror stories, a lot of their campfire ghost tales were acted out in no place. So it, it kind of feels like a, a kind of a, a filmed version, a version, a celluloid version, so to speak, of of the traditional no place. And I think that works for this movie because the movie in itself, you said it yourself, comes from folklore. It comes from these traditional stories that were told from way back at this time period, um, passed down generation to generation, I kind of feel fitting that it's done that way for those sequences, but when we're outside, it's huge, like, to, to remind you that this this is the real world and not, like, a all the world's a stage sort of thing. You get these huge scenes of bamboo groves and, you know, like, the, the aftermaths of war scenes and, you know, buildings that have been burned down. But then when we're in that building, it feels like the traditional Japanese no-play. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because actually the dance that you see Yone perform is derived from the tradition of of no productions. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't want to mention it because I, I didn't want to sound all hoity-toity. But <laughs> you just waited for me to. I, I would, yeah, I waited for you to step in, into the toity. Um, <laughs> man, I was just gonna piggyback on it. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, even though it does feel somewhat staged at times, it it's still like that's not a negative for this story, as you were saying. It it feels 
it it does feel like a, a, a like a folk tale you're being told. Yeah, and and I think that actually is to the benefit of the film. Um, yeah, it's so good. And um, in addition to it being like beautiful and lyrical, and and all the shots being, you know, as we said, like there are lingering shots, like from the very beginning when you see the samurai emerge from the woods, it's a long shot. And there's a lot of that in there. So you can either call it a little slow paced or lyrical if you want to be fancy about it. And that's kind of where I come down on it. Like, I don't want this movie to move too quickly. You know, it yeah. feels like this, this is a film that gets so much mileage out of its atmosphere. And man, does it have a great atmosphere. I mean, it, it like when you're in the, the nighttime scenes and there are these gorgeous scenes of like, um, uh, a Shige leading a samurai or, or Jintoki through the bamboo mm-hmm. and you see her walking ahead and the, you know, the samurai on the horse behind her. And it's, oh my God, it's beautiful. Like there were so many moments watching the movie where it's like, you could take this still. And frame it, and it would be a just a work of art. Mm. Um, and I, I get that sensation a lot when watching this movie. I just I, I think it's truly one of the most beautiful of the Japanese horror films, and yeah. I, I would argue that's one just one of the most beautiful Japanese films g- in general. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an incre- it's an incredibly well shot movie. Uh, I mean, even by when you can uh, consider, and I know it's something that you you probably would discuss down the line. But when you look at Onibaba, uh, the 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 previous his previous movie, it's all there, but it's just not as refined as Kuroneko. Kuroneko yeah. refines it to a completely different level, where this is on point, just phenomenal cinematography. As a director that completely knows, if you ha- if you didn't know, you would think that this had been storied out, you know, storyboarded out to the nth degree because everything is just deliberate mm-hmm. and beautiful. And I mean, we're, at, we're almost like ten. You get about ten minutes of this movie. The whole rape scene and burning of the the property at the beginning is done without dialogue. As yeah. well, yeah, yeah, it's like ten minutes into the movie before a character actually talks, and it's the after effect. And having that scene happen, like the burning of the property. I mean, the, the samurai. You get that beautiful long shot, like you were talking about, the samurai going into the into the the grove away from the property, and they're walking away before the smoke then starts to come out of the property, and it's still silence. And there's something eerie and beautiful about that as well. Yeah, it it. Like, it's a movie that I don't know is outright frightening mm. at any point, uh, or or not for me at least, but I, I find it to be, you know, genuinely creepy in several scenes. Like, it, it doesn't get to the point of like, I need to turn on a light, Kuroniko has done it, it's magic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I also... Like, you know, I, the last time I watched it, I watched it, you know, cause it was it was late at night and I got, you know... I'm on the couch blanket on me and, uh, and just kind of stare transfixed at the, at this film. And, and I do find the scene with the mother calling out, uh, Jintoki's name and, and asking for her arm to be kind of a great ghost story moment. Yeah. Uh, in, in a way that you don't see in a lot of films. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's odd to me that you don't have that, you know, disembodied voice that comes from everywhere and nowhere. Uh, haunting someone it's 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 really great um, it, it kind of reminds me of 
when Ash is losing his, his mind in the cabin and <laughs> yeah. he starts to hear noises from everywhere and that's that's kind of the closest thing I can think of in terms of like a modern use of it which which is effective you know in the case of that one is to show how crazy the character is actually going but the idea of noises could be coming from from everywhere in the room and we are experiencing that through the character's reaction um I think works really, you know, once again, who knows, Sam Raimi may be a current Echo fan, I don't know. Um, everyone should be, Duncan. Mm-hmm. Like, you're either uh, a fan of uh, Kuro Neko or you haven't seen it yet. Yeah. You know, those are the two categories of people on this planet. Um, let's talk gender for a second. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering when that was going to come up. Well, it's... <laughs> You know, I don't mean to to bang this drum on every episode where we talk about a Japanese film, but it just comes up so much. And it, and it's an important part of their culture. Uh, and particularly in a case where you're talking about the, you know, the, 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 the wronged woman returning from the grave for revenge is another trope throughout a lot of uh, Japanese cinema. Yeah. And so, again, to do a little bit of cultural uh, steeping for us here. Um, from this period and, and before and, and including now, um, there is a thing called Ryoi, uh, Ryo Saikenbo. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is the notion of good wife, wise mother. Yeah. It is, uh, there are, um, as, as in Japanese culture, every woman makes three submissions to her father, to her husband, and possibly to her eldest son. That is, it is considered to be the proper place of a woman in Japanese culture, uh, traditionally, not, not necessarily in modern times, but, um, that, that is the role of the woman. It is, it is, a, a woman is a, a second class citizen. It is, they are always, uh, deferent to, um, you know, husband and father and, you know, as, as I said, the, the eldest son and, what what Kuroneko does that that's fascinating is that you can read the movie as a story of the monstrous woman. Mm-hmm. But I really think this movie is a little bit more subversive than that because the the vengeful woman is never dispelled or punished. Yeah. It is you know this movie more so than than most uh Japanese films that deal with with this kind of issue. And especially in, you know, the erotic ghost films, um, you know, a lot of times those women are presented as, as being transgressive for trying to step outside cultural boundaries and so forth. And in this movie, first of all, you're more sympathetic, I think, because of, you know, death and rape mm-hmm. uh, and or, you know, reverse those uh, <laughs> rape and death. Uh, let's or maybe after. I don't know. It's all gross. Um <laughs> But in in this movie, there's there is this traditional female role, like like uh, uh, Shige kind of represents that traditional Japanese female that when confronted with her husband, the the person she loves, um, and I think it's poignant just because I'm a sap, but um, it is also I can't kill my husband, and that falls well within those gender role definitions. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, Yone, the mother, does not. Like, she can't allow herself to exist 
as just you know the, the even even as a ghost um she does not allow herself to be ruled by the wishes of her son she defies her son she you know occasionally attacks her son um that she does not allow herself like whereas uh she kind of falls on the sword so to speak and it's like i'm just gonna you know be in love with my husband for seven days and then go to hell but i'm never gonna hurt him um you know yone is at at a certain point it's just kind of like look ghost cat do what ghost cat do (laughs) and you may be my son but i'm not just gonna you know let you kill me because that's how I should behave. And and I think that's really fascinating. I think that's something that you don't see a lot. And I think Shindo... Um, in fact, the next movie he does is called Strong Women, Weak Men. Yes, that's right. And like he seems to be a director that is kind of flying in the face of culture in a lot of ways. Um, using this traditional story to... And keep in mind, this is you know the late 60s the West has started to really creep into Japanese culture in a big, bad way. And I think he's, he's surprisingly progressive uh, for, yeah. for this period in Japan and, and, and is attacking traditional gender roles and, and discussing them in a, you know, very subtextual way. But if you're a, you know, a traditional Japanese audience and particularly a male audience, you kind of came into this movie like, you know, hey, there's some sexy ghost cat action in this film. Because <laughs> even the poster, the the Japanese poster of it is, you know, it looks kind of romantic in a way. Mm-hmm. And instead, you're kind of left with this moment where our, our the male figure is left dead and kind of crazy at the end of the movie or kind of crazy then dead. I don't know why I keep confusing death uh, and, <laughs> and actual living behavior. But you're left with that and... You know, Yone has never been punished. You know, like she continues to kill samurai, one presumes. And I, I find it fascinating. Mm-hmm. I think, I think you're right. I think, um, that you kind of think you know where the, st- especially if you're in the West, um, you, you kind of think you know where the story's going to go. Um, and then that ending is, you were talking about abrupt endings. It, it kind of almost evokes kind of hammer horror um, and the way this movie ends and that there's the end, there's the credits, done. Um, no kind of like after after death of villain sort of thing. I know like um, let's wrap up the story now. This is just event and then finish. And the, the obvious thing you would think of is that our, our, our quote-unquote hero... <laughs> Potentially, maybe, um, is going to vanquish his mother, cat, demon, spirit. And, you know, that's it. It's going to be painful for him, but all the rest. To be in this position where she is, like you say, not only is she still alive, but she's got her, her weapon back, her, her claw arms and her mouth. Um, and she's left to continue this kind of onslaught on the the samurai and we already know that she will not stop until they are all dead um and and our character here is is dead we're assuming by the end of this movie is very jarring is is very it's not only just from a japanese point of view i think it's just very jarring in general even from from a western standard you would not get many movies that have that sort of ending 
I can't think of any many at all in the in the the West in terms of horror movies or ghost stories where at the end of it our our main hero is dead and his business as usual for the ghost. Yeah, yeah, and the. The last thing I would say uh, about this film in terms of its its impact is it's one of the first movies in Japanese horror cinema in which it kind of doesn't matter who who performed the initial act that creates the vengeful spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, we see it in Juan, like we talked about it at length, that it kind of doesn't matter who you are. If you just brush up against this haunting, you're screwed. Yes, but it's way back in 1968 with with Kroneko that we we first start to see this where it doesn't matter if you're a good samurai, if you've never hurt anybody in your life, if you're a samurai, you're screwed. Yeah, if if you run into these these ladies and, and, you know, we see some of the characters, you know, behave uh, badly, but, eh, you know, I mean, it. Usually in in the vengeful woman stories in in Japan, the you know the the vengeful spirit or yure or, or you know bakaneko or whatever it is goes after the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. Um, that is traditional. What is untraditional about uh, Kuroneko is that that sense of it, it doesn't matter if you were the guy who did it. You just have to be kind of associated. Yeah, and and then you know. Off, off, you know, here comes the the cat things in the neck. Um, I mean, but it's funny you you, you keep mentioning things like uh, Gion and things like that. There there are a lot of themes and from Gion which borrow from Kuroneko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's a lot, and even down to the the black cat, the crossover between the the, the kind of child demon is is kind of almost part cat, part kid. Um, because they die at the same time. The way that the the um inhabit a house, you know, and, and the way that, you know, essentially people are are, are not not killed, but the, the way they're kind of brought to their death as well is all reminiscent. And I mean John's the one that springs to it. There are a lot of Japanese horror movies that play off what Kuroneko does, but in itself Kuroneko is playing off traditional stories like folklore, actual proper Japanese folklore, and it makes sense. So it's, it's a hugely influential movie. It, like, I, I mean, I can't stress that. There are there will be people out there that have never seen Kuro and Echo before. I, I don't dispute that for a second. Um, and if you if you have been freaked out or enjoyed a lot of what Bo's already done in his series, which there are some absolute crackers that that, that have been um, covered already. Kuroneko is not going to scare you. It really, really won't. But it's kind of that way where you, if you sit down to watch Psycho, now, you've never seen Psycho before. Psycho is unlikely to scare you as a movie, but it's like, here is a director who's just, the the stars completely aligned on this one project and it is just a pretty much a perfect movie. And then you watch this one and it's exactly the same. Kuroneko is... Is this perfect amalgamation of eroticism, a ghost story, Japanese tradition, folklore, um, shot in the most beautiful way, um, and just delivered as 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 a gift for you to sit down and watch this movie. And there are few movies like this, even even from its its home country. There are just few movies that operate on the level that this movie does. 
and like Bo was saying as well, and kind of subvert this idea of this ingrained idea of the place of the woman in culture as well, and still manage to pull all that off. As I mean, you maybe get one or two of those things right in a movie, but, but to to be able to do them all, um, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, uh, I you once again you have summed up my thoughts uh, exactly. <laughs> um, I agree Sorry. with everything you said. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a wonderful movie. If you haven't seen it, by all means. And uh, um, uh, Duncan, do you have any any final thoughts here on on Kodarnako? Have we missed something? Have we have we have we sold this movie properly? Because this is a movie. If you're interested in Asian horror cinema. Uh, and I feel like what you just said is probably the best summation of that. This is kind of essential viewing. Yeah. As this, it's kind of, uh, I like to use the term. It's kind of like the Rosetta Stone of like uh, uh, the the idea of liking it to Psycho is how I would liken Kuroneko to to Asian horror cinema is the way that I look at Psycho as being this pivotal piece of cinema that once released changes cinema forever you know the the impact of that bleeds into almost every subgenre of of horror cinema in the west very much like Kuroneko's presence bleeds into horror cinema in in Japan as as a movie which sets out the the template the benchmark the ideas the story refines them into one package and and almost gives you a blue print of how to do like this style of movie moving forwards and whether or not like I say it's influenced by Italian horror cinema I would love to think there's there was some sort of crossover that maybe they'd seen because the, but it wouldn't surprise me if there wasn't at the same time that the, the, there are these traditional filmmakers that go about the idea of putting forward their cultural ideas in a story that just works on a level which is it is it, it, if you are interested I would say if you're interested in anything that this series is covering, or, or even if you want to get more in touch with Asian horror cinema, specifically Japanese horror cinema, Kuroneko is a wonderful place to start because the ideas that this movie sets out will be replicated, refined, um, changed w- with this very much in the background moving forward from that point. It's, it's, all, it's almost... Is almost essential Asian horror cinema viewing, and like Bo said, it's not it's not going to scare you. Uh, if you watch it at night though, and it's dark, and it's just the TV on, big nice widescreen TV, sit down and watch this movie, turn the volume up. It is atmospheric as fuck. <laughs> like there are huge sequences of of no noise and then startling sounds, but not used for jump scare, just used as part of the creative palette of the movie. It's fucking phenomenal. I love Kuroneko, Bo. We should I, do this more often. Yeah, what, watch Kuroneko? Uh, yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if if you were going to round out uh, sort of your your 1960s Japanese horror viewing, um, you know, Shindo also did uh, Onibaba, which you should certainly see. Uh, there's, you know, Kwaidan, um I mean, just there. There are so many films in this period, uh, not just the erotic ghost stuff like like uh, Kuroneko, but uh, like this feels like the period in which Japanese horror began to modernize itself. Mm-hmm. And 
later when we get to stuff like the Ring and Juan and stuff like that, you can there are such direct lines back to these movies. Uh, so yeah, like uh, Duncan said, if you are interested in in Japanese horror, or Asian horror, um, there is definitely some essential viewing in in the '60s that um, you know, un- weirdly unlike the West where we kind of had. Um, you know, Psycho, and then towards the end of the 60s, you know, Night of the Living Dead was pretty um, transformative for horror cinema and maybe something like Peeping Tom, if you want to go back to that. But, you know, Psycho is kind of the refinement of Peeping Tom in a lot of ways. Um, But, yeah, it's... There's more... There are more films in that library of, oh, I should see, dot, 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 uh, for... Uh, Japanese horror than I think horror in the West, but it's only because there's so many traditions that are being pulled from like Onababa is just hell, you know, yeah. I mean, there's, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, but, but it's fascinating because it's a version of hell that we don't often see. And um, anyway, so uh, that is uh, Kuroto Neko. Uh, it, it is, in my estimation, a, a haunting and lyrical work in the pantheon of uh, Japanese horror cinema and the only film I can recall in which a cat demon holds its own arm in its mouth. <laughs> so, before we depart for our, our own headlong plunges into hell, uh, we do have a listener question, Duncan. Oh. And uh, and I can't think of anyone better to help me than you. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, Bo, it begins. Is there a good place to start with Japanese horror, or should I just jump in with the most famous movies? And uh, thanks for keeping up the good work that comes from uh, Tyler. Hey, uh, thanks for sending that in, by the way. Um, I, I love I love listener mail. But, uh, you know, we were kind of talking around it already. Um, are, are we leaving anything out? Like, you know, quite on, I think, is essential. Um, certainly Kuroneko, um, Onibaba, um, you know. I think, yeah, I think it's, I think it's fair to say, I mean... When it comes to, to when it comes to any sort of appreciation or exploration of any sort of s- cinema, when it comes to a culture which is not inherently your own, um, and I'm going through a similar journey just now on Chronicle, looking at you know European cinema. I, I mean, it is there's the the old movies are the are certainly the best place to see where where the, the, the filmmaking, the storytelling has moved. That's not necessarily to say that they're always the best place to start. Um, if you find yourself as more of a fan of modern sort of movies and you want to gain an appreciation of older, you know, older movies or storytelling or really want to kind of round off your, uh, like an exploration into becoming like a full-on cinephile, then, then certainly, t- I, I, think, I think the beauty of what Bo is doing just now is you are not just doing, like, you're not just doing all the movies that have have been the most influential movies back from the 60s moving upwards. You are mixing up decades at a time. And I, I genuinely think that you, you need to kind of weigh up what it is you like about horror and then see if there's a Japanese horror movie that fits that subgenre. Like, for example, if, if you don't really like ghost movies uh, and are more into, like, blood and gore and slasher movies, Kuroneko is not the movie for you. You know, there's a very good chance 
you you know it'll bore you and it won't have the impact you want. But there are plenty of movies <laughs> in Asian horror cinema that are there, and a lot of them came out in the nineties and onwards. So, um, I would say if you appreciate cinema as fundamental basics, I think Bo's just given you three of the pivotal ones from Japanese horror cinema: Onobaba, Kuroneko, and Kadawan. Um, are brilliant movies. Um. That that certainly cover like a, a great deal of subgenres, but I don't know if like I mean like how how, how do you answer that question? Like, see, if I was saying to you, where's a great place to start with with American right. horror? Would you instantly would you instantly recommend something like Psycho or Freaks or you know would you jump back to Dracula and Frankenstein or would you be like Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Um, or you know it's a it's a weird one. I don't think you'll be disappointed by any of the movies, but I think kind of focusing on... Like, when I was getting into horror movies, it was slashers that got me into horror movies. My taste has totally changed since then. Yeah. And I found myself now... I, I love ghost stories, psychological horror, um, art house horror cinema, that sort of things. But I started off with the most generic nuts and bolts here is a killer, here is some teenager, stabby, stabby, stabby. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? That's, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, like that's that's how I started. You find your niche or you find the director and then you find that that director is influenced by another director and then you start checking out their work and, you know, it, it's, it, it becomes like this odyssey for yourself um, to, to, to navigate through all these different movies. So by starting kind of more modern, I, 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 some people would tell you that's a bad idea. I don't necessarily think it will, it will be because, like we said, if you would sit down and watch Geon, which is a far more recent film, um, there are clear paths that take you back to Kuroneko. So maybe that's maybe that's the way. I don't. I genuinely, I'm terrible at recommending movies to people. But I'll tell you, unless I really know what you like, I'm absolutely awful. Chances are I will pick the worst movie to sit down and watch for you. Yeah. <laughs> Why am I watching a Serbian film? <laughs> I just I asked for something I, uplifting. Yeah. I told them I wanted a family movie. Why did they... <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I, was, I was thinking Doctor Doolittle, not this. Um, I love yeah. the idea though of somebody saying, "I really want to see a, a movie, a, a family kind of film." And a Serbian film being the recommendation is... Or, or you know, like, I really like animals. I, I quite like movies like Dr. Doolittle, what do you recommend? Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. Check, check out that fun comedy romp. You'll never uh, forget the, the turtle scene, that's for sure. Exactly. But yeah, I think I think um, there's so much. I, I, I envy... Uh, was it Tyler you said? Yes. Yeah, I envy Tyler. If this is you just starting to get into to Japanese horror cinema or Asian horror cinema, I envy you so much because there are hundreds of titles out there ready to blow your mind, sir. Yeah, and I and to kind of echo and, and reemphasize what you said, I, I do think the best path for that is find the stuff that intrigues you and then and then just, you know, start Googling and find mm -hmm. the movies that either influence the, the movie you like or was a predecessor of, of another movie that uh, it, you know, is an extension of the one you like. Like, you know, if you want to go gory, there's all kinds of, you know, like the, the Nishibura movies and, um, you know, going back to like evil dead trap and stuff like that. Like you, you're going to find whatever you want there. 
you know, the Asian horror cinema is incredibly diverse. So, um, and also like my, I think this show reflects my own taste when it comes to things like that, which is not to get mired in one decade or, or to approach it like it is uh, a job or something that you have to suffer through. <laughs> But, but to say like, like I'm going to cherry pick these movies and that's going to, that's going to lead to a thread that is going to guide me to other films. Mm-hmm. Um, and also listen to Hero Hero Go Show and we'll recommend movies for you. Uh, I think it's, I think it's pro- probably the, be- the best way. Like, I, I'm not just saying that to shamefully, shamefully plug your show, but, but like, this is probably, is that is this not one of the main reasons to have this show? Is to basically give give a a, a catalogue of movies that you may have heard of or may never have heard of within a specific subgenre, within a specific area of the world, and just give you movies. And you you say it yourself, like during the reviews, if if they're talking about Tokyo Core Police and it sounds icky and vile to a point that you wouldn't want to watch it, don't watch that movie. But if someone's talking about um, Gion and what they're saying is actually really creeping you out in terms of the atmosphere, the ghost story, you know, all that sort of thing, that's a movie to go to. I, I think, yeah, I, I think it's probably... Bo, you're doing a public service for this show. I like to believe so. Uh, like, last week we talked about um, Haosu. Which is just fucking batshit crazy. Right, right. But, you know, and ideally these episodes serve as either an introduction or just a bit of Cliff's Notes mm. for the significance of some of these movies. Like, and, and, and in some cases, the significance is just that they're wildly entertaining. Yeah. You know, like, nobody's going to argue that Tokyo Gore Police has a, a, a great cultural impact. <laughs> But we can at the very least say, you know, maybe this is where some of the some of the themes of Tokyo Gore Police come from. Mm-hmm. But let's not forget that there is a gimp walking around on machine guns. Yeah. And, you know, th- that is the stuff that I, I find incredibly entertaining. So, yeah. Uh, but thanks again, uh, Tyler, for sending that in. Uh, if you want your questions about Asian horror answered on the show. Uh, send us an email over at hero hero at legion podcasts.com. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hero hero go show and, uh, on the iTunes, uh, while you're subscribing, uh, which we hope you do, how about you leave us a review and a rating, which helps spread the word. Uh, and there's truly no better way to get the show out there than you gentle listeners telling friends and family and coworkers about the show, uh, which you can also now find on Stitcher as well. So we are, slowly and insidiously infiltrating mass media like some sort of virus. Um, so uh, my thanks to Duncan McLeish for, uh, for joining us today. Um, as ever, uh, you are both entertaining and intelligible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, that's going to be a ringtone available. <laughs> so just, uh, just hit me up on, on Facebook. Let me know that you want the Duncan laugh ringtone and you will, you will have it. Um, so for Duncan, uh, Duncan McLeish and myself, uh, thanks again for listening. We will be back next week with a new movie, uh, from the East hosted by an idiot from the West. That's me. And now as much plastic soul band as I can legally play you. Good night. Bye.
Oh, yeah, great. I, I can't wait to receive my goblin cut. 